driven electric. Children. And we'll, we'll excuse the children now if they want to. Free choice, free will. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. You look great. George and Michelle Stewart, are you here? Where are you? Where are you? Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. George and Michelle, they, uh, let's give them a, many of you don't know George and Michelle. George and Michelle were here in the early 80s in the early formation of what was Heart of the Bay Christian Center, East Bay Faith Center at the time. Of course, Pastor Nancy, Pastor Tom, Pastor Kim, and all the others were here as well. But um, Pastor George was part of the worship team, and he met his wife here, Michelle's wonderful wife. I was one of his groomsmen in his wedding. He was one of my groomsmen in my wedding. They live in Oregon, right? Good. So I get a call yesterday from uh, George and Michelle, and it was an accidental call, you know, one of those kind. It, well, actually, it was from George, and he does it all the time. And so I pick up the phone, you know, because I have caller ID. It says, uh, you know, M. Stewart there. George, is that you again? Don't hang up, you know. But... Uh, I wish you wouldn't hang up so we could chat a little bit sometimes when you accidentally call me. Apparently, my name is right under Michelle's name or something, or right before it. Okay, good. I'm so glad to see you. so nice to have you back at the Mother Church here in Jerusalem. So nice to be home again. And uh, so it really is. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. The last time I was here was before Christmas, and I ministered, uh, I had something fresh from the Lord regarding peace, the peace of God, um, and I hope that blessed you and helped you and kind of carried you through the new year because, you know, the world's upside down, inside out, however you want to describe it, but, you know, not only with the things that are going on extrinsically, we have our own issues that we're dealing with, and Satan, you know, hasn't stopped his game plan either, so, you know, the peace of God is really important for us to, to stay in if we're going to see great things happen and Miracles happen in our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. And uh, more than anything, we thank you for Jesus, the word made flesh. Father, we thank you so much that he loves us. We can't even pretend to love on a vertical level down here on this planet until we receive the love, the unconditional, everlasting love that you have for us every day throughout the seasons of our life. So we thank you for Jesus and all that he did to bring us into your family. And Father, tonight we thank you that we will be changed, that we will see him in a new light. We'll see ourselves in a new light. And we thank you that we can walk in that, Father, and others will be blessed. And your plan will go forward, Father, because we are willing. We are willing vessels. And that's all you're asking for. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got something wonderful to share with you. I don't know about you, but, you know, there's a lot of churches out there and many different ways of appealing to people that are coming into the church and trying to draw people in. I'm all for it, you know, and if God inspires a church to do an outreach or to, you know, have a certain way of ministry, you know, for people to, you know, bring them into a service so they can hear the gospel, I'm all for that. But... One of the things that is kind of interesting, and and I think we need a revival if all you get in the foyer is, you know, a double latte to empower you, you know, to get through the service. I mean, you know, things have gone a little bit, you know, 
kind of haywire in, in that regard. I think that uh, as far as I'm concerned, I get my coffee over at Starbucks or whatever. When I come to church, I'm hoping to drink from the Spirit. You know, that's what I'm, I'm hoping to do. That And I know that that's what you're all about here. I know Pastor Mark. Um, he's my pastor as well and always has been. I've known them for almost 30 years, you know, uh, closely. And so um, this is a wonderful church family. And, they, and I know Pastors Mark and Brenda put first things first here. They really do. Can I get a good amen? Amen. Instead of the double latte, I would rather be empowered by the gospel. Like the Apostle Paul said, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? Good news. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God. It is the definite article there, power of God unto salvation, unto soteria. The big noun there is soteria, comes from the word sozo. It's the exact same word Jesus used when he said, your faith has healed you. Really, it says in the Greek, your faith has sozoed you. James Strong, who wrote Strong's Concordance, says that the word soteria for salvation means much more than just, you know, going to heaven. Your security in terms of your eternity. The word soteria means it has an all-encompassing all um, very practical meaning for us right here and now. It, it means that he will secure us. He will heal us. And I'm talking about here in this earth arena that we're talking about or living in right now. He will sustain us. All of these things, it means wholeness, both physically, in the sense of physical healing, in the very literal sense, and uh, uh, the keeping power of God is evident in that word of salvation. How many of you know where there is um, a hesitancy in your thinking in terms of your security with God? It brings all kinds of weird, almost blasphemous thoughts that come to your mind. In other words, when you don't feel secure in your relationship with God, do, do you understand what I'm saying? It opens the door for all kinds of wrong thinking about the gospel about salvation, soteria. In fact, um, where there is that kind of inconsistency in your thinking, when you feel insecure and there's uncertainty in your mind about your relationship and where you stand with the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot have peace. You cannot have confidence before God. You cannot exercise faith freely in that kind of environment. But God, in this word soteria, says that he is more than capable of keeping you well within the realm of his love. Okay? So that's really important. So I would rather be empowered by that than the double latte. Just understanding that. That's just a little extra there for you. What I'd like to do is um, put up a scripture. I want to talk to you today about soul prosperity. I want to put up a scripture from 3 John chapter 1. Can we do that? I believe the guys upstairs know how to do that, right? I'll wait for it. Good. 3 John chapter 1. You can turn in your Bibles there if you'd like. 
And just kind of going forward with this, we're going to be talking. About, go ahead and put that scripture up there, 3 John 1. There you go. Wow, that's extra. No extra charge for that. That's pretty nice. We're going to be talking about soul prosperity. But I want to say a couple of things about that because when you look at that word soterian, you look at salvation and how in all-encompassing it is in our walk here on earth. When you look at that, and, and, and when I look at it, even as a pastor over the last 20 years, I have to say, Michael Powers, do you really believe all that? Now, I understand about eternal security. I understand about my commitment to him that, that, that I have received the Lord Jesus Christ today. I'm going to heaven. But all the benefits that are in that word right now. Do I really know that? And it's not so much do I know it, do I really believe all of that? That's very important. It's not just knowing the gospel, it's what you believe about the gospel that is going to prosper your soul. And so to the degree that you believe the gospel, you are whole. Because soteria means wholeness. There's going to be integrity keeping you in your mind and in your physical body, in your soul. But to the degree that you don't believe the entirety of the gospel, you're going to struggle in your soul. Does that make sense? Um, John G. Lake and Kenneth Hagin even, and others that had healing revivals in the 40s and 50s, they often uh, understood this, maybe didn't preach it, but they understood this. In their healing crusades, oftentimes they would step back, and rather than have immediate altar calls, they would minister to the people and encourage them. Not beat them over the head with ten things you need to do to get your healing, but encourage them in the faith. Encourage them in God's love for them as an individual. Encourage them in the all-encompassing understanding of what soteria means to the believer. The fullness of our salvation, which includes healing. And he would get them to that a point where um, if they had walked in and they were down or depressed, they would have been lifted up in their soul, right? And they found that more people were healed without coming to the front and being prayed for than those that would come up for healing immediately, you know, and, and just receive. Why? Because their souls were prospering. To the degree your soul prospers, that is the degree that your faith will be inspired to receive, right? God's not asking you to do anything but believe. But what I understand and what I have found over the years when I've gone to hospital calls or ministered to sick people at any level, um, that there are times when the Holy Spirit would remind me that it's not time to pray yet. It's time to step back. And find out where they are in their soul. Because there's all kinds of things that try to make inroads into your mind that would prohibit God's flow. It does hinder the flow. It hinders your ability to just believe and receive. When you have condemnation, guilt, inferiority, all kinds of things where the devil has hammered you. So you begin to start to look for areas of condemnation that they're facing. You begin to try to look for those things that are condemning them that are what I call things that break down the soul. 
and you start infusing God's word concerning his individual love towards them, his value towards them. Because a lot of people, when their soul is broken down, it's hard for them to receive. It's hard for them to receive instruction. What they need to hear again is how much God values them. Do you realize that even when you don't sense God's value on your life and you don't start valuing your life as a believer, all kinds of things can happen. Physical problems can enter in, mental problems. Turn to your neighbor and say, ah, now I understand. We don't want that. And along with the issues of life, we have Satan working, condemning. Did you know that the Hebrew word for Satan, H-A hyphen Satan, means deceiver? The deceiver. He is a liar. He's an accuser. It also means accuser, like a prosecutor would be prosecuting. How many times have you gone to court and watched a prosecutor say anything nice about the defendant? (laughs) Satan does not play fair. He'll take your issue and, and bring it to a whole new level to try to distract you. Can I get a good amen? Isn't that true? He'll take advantage of that situation. He's the accuser of the brethren, the scripture says. And he heaps on condemnation. And that's one of his most significant tools to try to divert a believer or put them off track for a season in their life. Did you know that? It's not that he wants them to you know, just not believe or give up their trust in Christ completely. It's if he can get them so condemned that they're on the bench, then he feels like, you know, that's fine. He can move on. And I'm telling you, I see a lot of believers that are on the bench because their souls aren't prospering. Do you agree? Their souls aren't prospering. But let's take a look at this real quick. So that, that is the issue that we want to talk about today. Okay, you can put it back up again. Can you hear me up there? Okay, so uh, Third John. I know it takes about five minutes here. So, Third John uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Beloved, I pray. Well, let's go to the, can you go to the very beginning of that scripture? Can you, can you shoot that up there? The greeting part? In, in Third John, it's not there. It didn't appear there. Okay. Well, let me read that part because that's important. It's the beginning of, this, of the uh, book here. Uh, he's greeting a friend of his. His name is Gaius. And if you've got your Bibles there, you can turn to Third John chapter 1. There's only one chapter there. He says, the elder. Now, this was a personal letter that John wrote to his friend Gaius. And Gaius was one of his very trusted friends. He was uh, very elderly. Um, he was a very wealthy man. And he would um, help out the itinerant ministers that would come through that region. He would minister to them and uh, support them. And he was a great, great friend and brother in the Lord to John, the disciple. Now, John is the writer here. He's writing this individual letter. The same John that walked with Jesus, right? Who was in Jesus' inner circle, if you will, with Peter and James. So he had special access to Jesus 
that some of the other disciples didn't have. So he was very intimately acquainted with Jesus. It's the same John that the night before Jesus was betrayed, when they, when they were sitting around the table, that, that put his head on Jesus' chest and actually heard the heartbeat of God. Can you imagine? It's the same John that was really quick to believe. He ran to that gravesite, saw the grave clothes, right? And he believed very quickly, whereas some of the other ones took some time to believe. You know, they, they were processing this whole event. But John was quick to believe. And if you look at all of his epistles, his letters, and the Gospel of John, you'll notice that believe is a key word there. He uses that a lot. And John was a very, very special disciple. And he was the only disciple out of the eleven that did not die a martyr's death. So he was a special man. Now he's writing this this letter. It's a personal letter to his friend Gaius. And he loved this guy. It says, to the beloved Gaius, agapetos is the word, his beloved, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now the word prosper there in the Greek is the word Yodau. Now, there will be no test tonight, but I want you to know what that means. Because a lot of people think that this letter, when he prayed this prayer, and we would take this prayer that John prayed and rightly apply it to our life, wouldn't we, as the will of God? Why would John pray to a beloved brother a prayer that was not the will of God? This was not just a nice greeting. To open up a letter. You know how when you, you, know, you, you write a letter, you want to say something nice in the front end of it. It's not just an ambiguous hello, you know, prosper and be in health with no, no real definition to it. No, that word prosper there, yuodau, literally means financially and materially. You see it in 1 Corinthians when uh, the Apostle Paul writes, on the first day of the week, let every man set aside that which God has prospered him, so that when he comes, he did not have to take up a collection. It was very specific, that word prosperity. And he prayed that God would prosper him. And he was already very wealthy, and he prayed that God would prosper him even more. He didn't have a problem with that, because he was helping the kingdom of God. So we want to understand that that has significant meaning. It's not just, you know, prosper without some kind of, you know, um, understanding of that. And so the same word again in that word for prosperity, you can look in the Old Testament because prosperity pops up all the time in the Old Testament. God is interested in prospering his people. And that same word, yuodau, is used in the Septuagint, the Greek rendition of the Old Testament as well. So that's very specific. It is God's heart that we prosper on earth. Not just for ourselves, but for kingdom work. Would John pray that prayer if it wasn't the will of God? I can't even imagine. John knew the heartbeat of God. In fact, if you read the Gospels, read all of them again. Without prejudice or any bias, you would find through the numerous healings and the numerous provisional miracles that Jesus did, that it is God's heart to prosper his people. Now, I say that 
Because, you know, I think of specific miracles. I think of, you know, when he turned water into wine. And that was his first miracle. But, you know, it was just to save the bridegroom from embarrassment that they were going to run out of wine. You know, he's willing to do it under all these other circumstances. Why won't he do it for us? He will do that for us. And, and what's interesting about it is if you think about, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, there was always food left over. There was always more than enough. Now, for those that come against healing and faith and prosperity, they should actually be saying, hey, these people know the heartbeat of God. Just like John. Now, notice the safety valve here as well as the criteria. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper very specifically in what? All things. All things. Say all things. All things. And be in health, your physical health, just as your soul prospers. Now, that is one word, just as, in the Greek. The word is katos. And it literally means to the degree of and in proportion to your soul prospering. Or we could say it this way. Even as or with the same measure that your soul prospers, you will prosper and be in health. So your prosperity on the outside, prosperity in all kinds of things, because he prayed that he would prosper in all things. Your prosperity in your physical body, your prosperity in your job, your prosperity in your relationships, financially and otherwise will be in the same proportion as your soul prosperity, katas, to the degree of, to the, in proportion with soul prosperity. And that's in the Arteist as well, if you, if you look it up in the Greek. So that's very, very important to understand when, when you're thinking about um, situations in your own life. You know, I understand when people are in debt, they need a financial breakthrough, and I understand that. When people are hurting physically, they need a physical healing. And I understand that. But how many people are interested in finding out where am I missing it in my soul? First. And God's not holding back anything, but it does short circuit the flow. It does when you have condemnation, you have guilt, and you have wrong thinking about the gospel... And it could be teaching that was well-meaning from someone you listened to, but it's just simply wrong. You have wrong thinking, wrong thoughts that's breaking down your soul. And you know it. It's difficult to be in that environment of believing God. Just receiving from Him. Because you never know where you stand. Isn't that true? It is true. Where am I missing it in my soul? What is your soul? Your soul is your will, your mind, and your emotions. We are a tripart being. We are a spirit. We have a soul. That's the middle part of us, right? Our will, mind, and emotions. And we live in this thing called body, right? God is triunity. One God, God, but in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He made us in His image. So we are spirit, have a soul, and live in the body. So our soul, the middle part of us, is the part that needs to be prospering while we're here on earth. 
if we're going to receive the abundance of soteria, salvation. I'm not talking about, you know, you losing your salvation. That's secure. I'm I'm not talking about your eternal salvation. I'm talking about all the other things that you can receive here on earth that the Father wants you to receive. In fact, in 3 John 1, 2, just as your soul prospers, the word prosper there, that word prosper in the Greek, the tense there is present, passive, indicative. Now, you're learning some things today, okay? See, this is really important because you're not going to hear this. Okay, you probably, pastors don't have time to be teaching everything on Sunday morning. You, you understand? But that is very significant. Passive means it is something that the soul is doing. It is some, it's, it's something, it's not something that the soul is doing to itself. It's something that is being done to the soul. Um, do you understand that? And present means it is happening right now. Your soul cannot help but prosper. But there is something that is being done to the soul that is causing it to prosper. So it behooves us then to know what is that thing that is causing our soul to prosper. Right? Are you doing something that is causing your soul to prosper? And so the next verse tells us, can we go down? Can you bring that up? Uh, Verse 3. Paul goes on, if we look at this whole thing in context, Paul goes on, For I rejoice greatly, brethren, when uh, brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Say, truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth. I submit to you today that the key to prospering your soul is walking in the truth that is in you. The problem there is a lot of believers get mixed up about what the truth is. Some people think, well, he's talking about not lying there. No, he's not. I'm not for lying, okay? So don't run out here and advocate that I'm lying. You know, Pastor Michael came and said it's okay to lie. He's not talking about truth-telling necessarily. He's talking about the truth. Yeah. If you go to somebody, just a rank and file, somebody that's in the word of faith circles, which I came out of, um, they would say the key to soul prosperity is just walk in the word, brother. Just walk in the word. But that's too generic. What part of the word? Because I can take you to Leviticus and it says that even if I pick up a stick on the Sabbath, I'm supposed to be stoned to death. Is that the part of the word that's going to build up my soul? And bring soul prosperity to me? No. It's walking in the truth that is in you. We're talking to believers here. And and I'm talking to believers here. There is a truth that is in you. We're going to talk about and discover that. Remember Pilate talking to Jesus when Jesus was on the cross? Do you remember that? I believe that is in, uh, I, I, I put that down as a scripture because I thought it was interesting. John 18, the same gospel, or the same writer, John 18, 37 and 38. Jesus was brought before Pilate, remember that? And uh, 
Pilate said to him, Are you the king? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am the king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Say truth. Everyone who hears of the truth hears my voice. What was Pilate's response to him? What is truth? And that's what I want to show you tonight, because that's going to be a key to your soul prosperity. Oh, there's many things you can do to help accommodate soul prosperity. But there is the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. The truth. Jesus was speaking to the Jews. Do you remember this discourse? Jesus is speaking to the Jews. And you got to know who he's speaking to so that you get the right context of the scripture and you don't try to mess it up and apply it where it shouldn't be applied. He was speaking to Jewish people. And he said this, he said, If you keep my words or my commands, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the what? Truth. And the truth will set you free. Now, was he talking to those Jewish people about the law, about the entirety or full plenary of Scripture? No, he was talking about a future truth that would be known. You shall, future tense, know the truth. See, he was talking to Jews. Jews know the law. They not only know the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, they know 613 laws and commandments, ceremonial laws, all the Levitical laws, every law that's in the Old Testament. And there are many, 613. So they already knew that part. They didn't know about the full truth that he was bringing into the new covenant. Do you understand? You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. I submit to you, walking in that truth will cause soul prosperity. Someone said, well, this is a, a real basic message. No, this is not a basic message. Some people, I'm telling you, have forgotten about this. The truth that we walk in that is in us, there's a truth in you if you're a believer. It's called Christ in you, the hope of glory. When he talked to the Jews about the truth, they didn't have Christ in them, the hope of glory. And so, you know, they're trying their best to keep the laws, but they're under a lot of condemnation because, you know, you know they're, they're, they're doing the sacrifices, but, you know, it's only one, you know, there's only one sacrifice and it takes you through another year and then you've got to do another one. But, you know, when you get towards the end of the year, you've got a lot of condemnation because not one person on this planet has been able to keep all the regulations and laws to try to please God, appease God. So their, their souls are not prospering. It was only when Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, that we got the free gift of righteousness. Say righteousness. righteousness. Say free gift. free gift. The Apostle Paul called it the gospel of grace. It is a free gift. It is unmerited. We realize that. We're saved by grace, unmerited favor, through faith, just believing with a believing heart, not by works, lest any man should boast. But that's how we should be living our life as well, if we're to have soul prosperity. But Satan will try to get you so confused about this that you're never living up to God's standard. And I'm not really talking about sin right now. I'm talking about the everydayness of life. I'm talking about your spiritual disciplines. I didn't read the Bible 
enough this week. You know, I got mad at my boss. My wife and I had an argument. You know, this and that. The normal issues that you're tempted to fall into through the course of your life, Satan will take advantage of that because he's the accuser of the brethren, compound that, and make you think you're out of sorts with the Heavenly Father. They have forgotten the key to soul prosperity. Because when you feel that there's insecurity there because you're not doing enough to please, you're not going to be in a position to confidently come to him in faith to receive from him. The fullness of his salvation. Sozo. Salvation. The health and, 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 and financial help and, and the provision and the, the keeping power of God. All those things that we enjoy on earth fall under that word salvation, not just our eternity in heaven. Our part is simply to believe. Did you know that? That's why we're called believers. That helps your soul right there because some of you are trying to do some things to impress God probably this week. He loved you then and he loves you now the same. The same quality of love that when you were trying to you know, do some things to try to, to, to help you know, your, your position with him. He loved you before you started that activity. He loved you after you stopped that activity. <laughs> because, let's say it's fasting. There's going to be a point where you've got to stop the fast. Come on now. See, fast for the right reasons. But what I'm saying, I'm just saying now. The quality of his acceptance for you is the same. It does not change. It's everlasting love. And it's unconditional love. Based on what Jesus has done through his death, burial, and resurrection. Because he was made the propitiation of our sins. Big word coming, propitiation, means simply this. All of God's anger, his wrath, his, his hatred towards sin and sinful behavior. Not just the sin nature, but sinful behavior. Was put on Jesus. All the condemnation, all the guilt... All, all, the, um, all the negative ramifications that come from sin were put on him on the cross, according to Isaiah 53. And uh, he was chastised. The chastisement for our peace in our soul was put upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Sozo. Just a reminder... Because I know you're doing a lot of activities and 10 steps to this and this and that. And that's, that's good. I'm not against that. Fasting and praying, I'm okay with. Just do it because God said to do it. Uh, you know, being a good person, being, you know, you know up, upright. And, I, the, you know, that's just the byproduct of someone that's born again. It's a byproduct. It's not something you do to gain God's acceptance. It's just something that you desire to do when you're born again. Does that make sense? Now, you may miss the mark from time to time, but... What I'm saying is the desire there is to please God. And it's a byproduct of being in that secure position with, because of Christ. Where was I? I'm, I'm going way, way, way off the chart here. Way off the chart. John knew the heartbeat of God. He knew what the truth was. And so, let me just say this. 
We need to know what that thing is that we should be focusing on that will cause soul prosperity. What part of truth in us? Now, I said that it, you know, the, the great, uh, wonderful understanding that it is Christ in you. This is a mystery that was hidden through the ages, but now it's not a mystery. Because it is a mystical union that we have with Christ, but it's not a mystery anymore to us. Because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. We know it. We know that he's in us, the spirit of Christ. And so it's not being hidden, it's there. Oh, Lord, what do we want to say? There, there, there were some things that I just really wanted to impart to you about that. So let's, let's just pretend, you know, we're Pilate. What is that truth? Do you remember the Passion of the Christ? Some of you remember that? I was thinking about that. Remember, they were speaking Latin to one another. Jesus was speaking Latin to Pilate. Pilate was speaking Latin back to, to Jesus. Pilate said, I remember the last thing he said, Veritas, Veritas, when Jesus said, I came to, to show the truth. And what is truth? Now, John 8, 31, and, and you know what the truth is. Um, we, we mentioned that Jesus said that we shall, we're the ones, the generation that shall know the truth, and that truth will make us free. Free in our soul, our will, mind, and emotions. It'll free us up. Now, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory, but what does that mean? Now, in Col- Colossians 1.27, that's where that scripture is, if you want to just write that down. If you move over to 2 Corinthians 5.17, you see how this plays out. And this becomes a key as we kind of move progressively towards prospering our soul. A key right now for every believer is to be reminded of who they are in Christ. Not who they are in themselves, who they are in Christ. Because if you measure your relationship with God based on who you are and the way you acted yesterday or you know, this morning or whatever, you're going to have a problem. Your soul is going to start breaking down. You're going to be losing confidence before God because you've you've made some mistakes. Am I right? You didn't lose your salvation. But the key is this, and it's in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, how many people are in Christ? Now, it's the preposition that connects you to Christ. It's, It's the mystical union that we have. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Right? But you are also, you are in him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The scripture previous to that says, He, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And took all the penalty of that sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? What is the truth that is in you? 
It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the fact that in you, you are new and you are the righteousness of God in Christ. I remember George Stewart used to call me when we first met. And you probably don't even remember any of this. But when I first met George in the early 80s, he would come up to me and, and we'd shake hands or whatever. And he'd say, hi, Michael, how's the righteousness of God in Christ? I just remembered you saying that over and over to me all the time. Because that, I'll tell you, back then, that was a huge revelation to me. He who knew no sin, Jesus. Somebody said, well, is God just winking at sin? No, he, there, there was a dear price to pay. He sent his son. Jesus took all the condemnation that your soul could ever possibly take as a penalty on him. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. For us. So that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Say this with me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. If you want one tool to prosper your soul the most right now, is when you start feeling inroads of wrong thinking, wrong believing coming into your mind that are trying to break down your soul, you need to remind yourself of this scripture. And even say it out loud if you have to. Because there's power in speaking the word. And use your name. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. What is righteousness? It's right standing with God. E.W. Kenyon said it this way. Righteousness for the believer because of Jesus is the ability to stand in the presence of God without a sense of sin, guilt, inferiority as if sin never existed. Well, someone, how can that be? I, I, you know, I got mad at somebody on the road today and I did this and I did. No, 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 no. See, when God wants to check up on you, he looks at Jesus, what Jesus has done for you. Amen. So you and God are tight. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not advocating sin. I'm not advocating, you know, failure or anything. But all of your failures, all of your sin, past, present and future were placed on him. So that you and I could become or be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Now that builds your soul up. Your will, mind and emotions. Why does that build your soul up? Because all the condemning thoughts that Satan can throw at you. You know, they don't mean anything more because you live for an audience of one. The almighty God. And he says, no, you're free. You're forgiven. You're my beloved. Agape toss. I have not left you. I will never leave or forsake you. We'll just go on. We'll get this right. Christ in you, the hope of glory, does that. That is the truth that is in you. That is the truth that will cause soul prosperity to start blossoming in your life. Now, what would be the byproduct of that? I'm established in that fact. Well... Go to Isaiah chapter 54. I think we might have that up there. And we'll just, uh, we'll just kind of move right through this. Isaiah 54. This is a prophetic scripture speaking of Jesus, what he was going to do in his redemptive work for you and I. This is another part to the truth that's going to set you free. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 14. In righteousness you shall be established. Say, I shall be established. In righteousness. 
That's right standing with God. You are in right standing with God. He lives in you. That cannot change. That will not change. You have complete security in that. Sozo, the word definition includes that sense of security. He's able to keep you from falling. He's able, like Paul said, he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. He's able to. You're not able to. Can I, can I just throw a little illustration? It's like my kids, when they were like four and five, I have two little girls, they're both in college now, but when they were four and five, we'd be hustling across the street, be on our way to church, we'd park somewhere, we'd do something, and there's cars coming both ways, and you kind of look out and you find a, a, a kind of a, an opening there where you can kind of run across the street and not get, get killed, you know? I'm holding on to their hand like this. Now, as a parent, as a father, am I relying on their grip to get them across that street? When cars are coming? Mm-mm. They're holding on as best they can. But, you know, with their strength, they could slip any time if I was just counting on them to hold on. No, they were counting on me. I'm holding tight, and we're getting across that street. Because I'm not going to let them go. I mean, well, I'll pick them up. I'll do, you know, do you understand me? That's the same hold that God has on you because you're the righteousness of God in Christ. He can only see you that way. In the Old Testament, when they, when they did the offerings for the sin offering and for the Day of Atonement, they would, they would examine the goat or the sheep that was brought for the sin offering to look for blemishes because it had to be perfect. They didn't examine the sinner that brought the lamb. They examined the lamb. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if it met the criteria, then it could be a, an offering that would be acceptable and get God off their back. This is how they thought of it. I'll get God off my back for another period of time, you know. Just one year with Israel, you know. Every year they had to do that. It's the same with you. Jesus is the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the earth. When God looks at you right now, because you are the righteousness of God in Christ, because He lives in you, He's not leaving because of any failure, past, present, or future. He looks at Jesus, the perfect, spotless Son of God, who has imputed you that righteousness and imparted it to you. Literally. He didn't just cloak you with it and God's pretending that you're... No, you were made in a very literal sense the righteousness of God in Christ. That will prosper your soul. That will keep Satan at bay when he's trying to condemn you. You're not good enough to receive that miracle. You haven't done enough to receive that miracle. Forget sin. I'm just talking about spiritual activity. You didn't go to church last week, so you can't... You know, you just dug up your, um, whatever, you know, your, 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 your seed. You know, the seed deal. You just dug it up. You've got to start over. No, that's not how God works. Your soul needs to prosper beyond all of that junk. There are churches out there preaching that stuff to condemn and control people, you know. Satan's doing a good enough job. We don't need other, you know, people standing behind pulpits condemning people. Jesus took the fullness of the condemnation. We don't judge anymore. We have no room for it anymore. God's judged sin once and for all in the body of Jesus. Look at, with me uh, one more scripture. Scripture. 
Romans chapter 8, 1. Now, I'm calling this, because I was looking at this yesterday. I'm calling Romans 8, 1 the door to soul prosperity. Because this is the entire byproduct. Okay? Of your soul prosperity. When you know that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you know that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. The result is no condemnation, right? And if you turn to Romans 8, 1, we've got it up here. Are you, are you tracking with me? Are we doing okay here? Okay. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now new covenant reality. Okay? For believers. Therefore, there is now. This wasn't available in the old covenant. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that's the New American Standard Bible, right? You may have King James, New King James, other translations may have it one way or there. And I think the New King James says, uh, for those that follow, that um, do not walk in the flesh, that follow after the Spirit and do not walk in the flesh. Uh, That was added by the translators, by the way. Because they they simply couldn't believe it. This is too good to be true, that that, that Jesus took all of our condemnation. I mean, you've got to do something, otherwise you're, you know. Do you understand what I'm saying? This, in the Greek, is the, this is the, the proper translation of the original Greek. It didn't have, that was, the, those, those comments were added. See, man always tries to get involved in this. And let, let's, let's, let's let Jesus have a little glory, but we'll, you know, we've got to work it out here. Now, I'm not advocating you again to, to, to live a life that's not holy, but a life that's holy is a byproduct of, of someone that is born again of the Spirit of God, that is saved by grace through faith. You can't add to it. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was an able expositor of Scripture, he wasn't a charismatic man. He, he pastored Westminster Church in London in the 40s and 50s. Well-known theologian. Charismatics wouldn't pay attention to to him, but he was well-known. He said this about this scripture in his expository of the scripture. He said, because of the, the Greek rendition, it is an utter impossibility for the believer to be condemned again, not now, not ever, because of what Jesus has done through his atonement for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. That we could have this truth that is in us that would lead us to soul prosperity. That would lead us to having no condemnation. To lead us to a place where our soul isn't being broken down so that we're not in an environment to believe God for the things that he wants so desperately to channel to you and to me. But we prosper even as, just as, to the same proportion as our soul prospers. Oftentimes I walk into a hospital, you got to step back, you got to get their soul to prosper. If they're, if they're not prospering in their soul, oftentimes you know, they kind of stay in a, a, a place, a static place where they're not, you know, they're just kind of the same. They're not moving forward, you know, in the healing process. Most progressive healings, not, I believe in, you know, there's instantaneous healings. But there's progressive healings as well as faith comes. Remember the blind guys when Jesus prayed for them? They were, they were healed as they went. Do you understand? But oftentimes, the soul of a person needs to begin to prosper before their bodies 
and, and other extrinsic outside things that they're facing are going to prosper. Because then and only then there'll be an environment to stand before the throne of grace. And this is what the Bible says. Not, I don't say this. You say you sound a little arrogant there. No, this is what the Bible says. Therefore, you and I, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace to what? Obtain mercy, find grace to help in time of need. If you have no confidence because your soul has been just, you know, bombarded with lies and you've accepted little things here, little religious ideas there about your relationship with God, that can hinder the flow. But for someone that's walking in as the righteousness of God in Christ, he gets all the glory, that has been made that new creation in Christ, that has Christ in them, the hope of glory, qualifies for that scripture in Romans 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation. And when there's no condemnation, that means your soul is prospering. That's a key element to check on. Check your temperature. Am I feeling condemned and judged all the time? And, 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 and then you start thinking, well, maybe I should feel bad about myself. Maybe God, you know, he's just kind of upset. You know, he's holding back on me because you're not seeing things happen right away, you know, in the outside. That's a lie of the enemy. That's a lie of the enemy. He's the accuser of the brethren. We need to be able to always go boldly, not pretentiously, but boldly, confidently would be a better word, to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace and grace to help in time. Does anybody need a little help from time to time? I do. When my soul is prospering, it is so much easier for me to get that help in a shorter, you know, it doesn't take as long. God reminded me, the things that I'm not worried about and dreading and fearful about that are kind of breaking down my soul, those are things that are kind of hindering the grace of God coming in that area. The things that I have abandoned to Him, that I have developed some faith for, and I'm trusting Him and just believe, with a believing heart. I'm not doing things, you know, like 10 steps to this. And I'm just believing, you know. Those are the things I feel free in my mind about. Everything you believe right about soteria, sozo, the gospel of salvation, will cause your soul to prosper. Everything that you're believing wrong right now will cause your soul to be struggling and potentially be broken down. Does that make sense? Our part is just to agree with what he has made us. That is the truth that is in you. John rejoiced when he found out. Just right after he said, you know, I pray that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. He says, I rejoice greatly when I heard that you were walking in the truth that is in you. Because some of the believers there were not walking in the fullness of that truth. They were try- it was a mixture. They were trying to add old, you know, you know, bring the law in and do this and that. And you can only eat, you know, the... the, the food ordinances and the dietary ordinances and you got to keep this and you got to keep that you know there was in the church was in transition especially the church in jerusalem that james was pastoring at the time but it wasn't until the gospel in its fullness came and the apostle paul representing the mind of god in the new testament you know makes it very clear what that truth is so i hope we've answered the question what is truth when it comes to soul prosperity 
and that you won't be walking out saying veritas. <laughs> what did he say? What is truth? The truth that is in you. Don't let anyone talk you out of that, and that'll keep you free. Amen. Who the sun sets free is free, free. Indeed. indeed. Free in your soul. Thank God. Amen.